Hi, welcome to the New Story Church podcast. We hope that this week's message encourages you and brings you closer to Jesus. What we're going to do is we're actually going to skip 1 Peter 2 verses 1 through 3. I really was stunning that, saw that as a continuation of a lot of chapter 1. Just a fun fact for those of you who may not know, the original scriptures did not have chapter or verse. So sometimes where we have things broken up, even with paragraph headings, the authors may not have intended it to be broken up that way. Now, I'm not saying that I know better than someone else, but based off of what I was reading, I really felt like he picked up on another thought in chapter 2 verses 4 through 5. And so that's where we're going to start today. And that's going to be our hook. And from, from, our, from our viewpoint here 2,000 years later, some of the stuff he says in verses 4 and 5, at first you might be like, okay, what's so captivating about that? What's the hook there? But if we, we do what we can to get into the mindset of Peter as he was writing this to, a, to the church 2,000 years ago, this, what, some of the stuff he's saying would have been explosive. It would have been mind-boggling. And he just unloads all of these ideas in these two verses, and we're going to use them as, as a structure to build out from there as we walk through the uh, uh, chapter verses, I'm sorry, verses 4 through 12 of 1 Peter chapter 2 today. So 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 4 through 5, Peter says this, so as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but chosen and precious in God's sight, you yourselves as living stones are built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So Peter says a few things here already that, that are just, if we just read quickly, it's like, okay, you know, living stones. But, but this would have been the idea of living stones. He said to the church, you are living stones. He doesn't say to live stoned. You know, pay close attention there. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that we exist as a church as living stones. So Peter's already starting to call back a little bit to what these readers would have understood to be maybe Joshua chapter four, when Israel set up stones as a testimony to the faithfulness of God. And he's saying those physical stones, they were, but now your life, my life, the church's life is a living stone that speaks of the faithfulness of God. He then goes on to say that, uh, We exist, the church exists as a royal priesthood. We're going to talk more about that later. He uses the language of a spiritual house. He said that we are to offer spiritual sacrifices. That might sound a little bit weird to us. But really what I think that Peter's getting at here with this language of spiritual sacrifices is he's talking about the type of life that we are called to live. As he goes into 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 through 11, and, and he talks about the type of conduct that a Christ follower's life should have, that our life should be a life that reflects that we are sacrificing uh, an old way of life to embrace the new way of life that Christ has for us. He's saying all of these things that, that his readers at this time period, they would have been like living stones, holy priesthood, spiritual house. It would have started setting off all of these things within their mind. We could honestly spend all day just talking about those two verses. But I want to continue to to go with this train of thought that Peter's on because there's some really helpful stuff for us to see here today. And as we as the church exist as living stones, as he said to the faithfulness of God, we as living stones are being built up into what Peter describes as a spiritual house. And so that's what I want us to really focus in on today is the spiritual house that we are building up as the church. What kind of house are we building? What exactly does this mean? What does this look like for us? Scholar Scott McKnight describes it this way. He said, in fact, Peter states that the church 
is a spiritual house that is the temple of God. Presumably, he sees this temple as the replacement as of the old temple. It was in the old covenant, in the old testament, as the replacement of the old temple as the dwelling place of God. So God no longer dwells in just one physical space. God now dwells in all humans who are followers of Christ through his spirit. And through that, we as living stones are being built up as a testimony of the faithfulness of God into a spiritual house. It's kind of cool. Pretty cool that God is doing that through each and every one of us. So sometimes people come to me and they say, a new story, a new story really, it would be really great if you guys get like a permanent building. And don't get me wrong, it it would be really fun if we had, you know, a permanent building. And if you have a million dollars lying around to donate to us, we'd gladly take it and and we could figure that out. With inflation, we might need a little bit more than that. But, you know, I I, I don't know. But sometimes I'm excited. We're in this great space that we lease and, and we recognize the church is not a physical building. The church is not just physical walls. The church is the people. We are existing as living stones being built up together. Wherever you go as a Christ follower, that's where the church is. Wherever you find yourself throughout the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, that's where the church is. We don't have to wait for Sunday to have church. This spiritual house, we are existing as living stones wherever we find ourselves. The temple of God, you exist as a temple of God. And we are to build up this house. So what does it look like to build up the house? And I believe this is what Peter goes on to break down for us in verses 5 through 12. I mean, verses 6 through 12. And the first thing I want to talk to you about is the foundation of the house. Now, I am, I am not going to pretend that I know a lot about building homes because I know very little about building homes. I know very little about repairing homes. I've been honest about this on multiple occasions. I do not fix things. I am not handy. That is not what I'm good at. Sometimes I'll listen to other pastors or Bible teachers and they'll, they'll get to a, a passage like this and they'll start explaining buildings and everything. And I think, my goodness, you, you must have two different jobs. You can preach and you can build. This is really impressive. Or sometimes they'll get to the agricultural passages that Jesus uses, like his parables. Like, this is how this grows and this is how you water this. And I'm like, oh my, wow, you're much smarter than me. I don't know how to do any of those things. Uh, here, here's what I know about the foundations of homes. This is the very little knowledge I have. When I was growing up, we lived in a new development and homes were always being built around us. And so I would go with my younger brother and our friends and, and we, would, we would play in homes that we probably shouldn't be playing in because they were being built and they were not fully constructed at the time. But we would see, hey, we, we would, you know, take our lightsabers and pretend we were doing Star Wars and all this different stuff. And we would go to the basements and we would jump and, you know, do all this crazy stuff. And there was actually one time we ended up at this home and the home was basically completed. And my one friend said, I'm going to go use the restroom. I said, okay, you can use the restroom. Who cares, right? It's, I mean, nobody's going to find out. Well, he's using the restroom and he said, hey, do you have any toilet paper? I'm like, no, I don't have toilet paper. And this house, so I run home, I get some toilet paper and I think I'm being very sly. And before I know it, I hear my older brother on the back porch. And this is what they sounded like in Virginia. He went, what are they doing back there with that toilet paper? And we were busted. My dad was not happy. He's like, Scott, you should not be going on other people's property. And I'm like, okay, I'm sorry, dad. Sorry. But, but that's, that's really all I know about the foundation of homes is we would go and we would play in the basement and we put, and then they, they would always start with the basement first and they would start with, you know, these concrete basements and then they would build up the home from there, but they had to start with the foundation. They didn't build the house and then build the foundation. The foundation came first. 
And, and this is really important for us to consider as we consider building ourselves up as the church, as individuals, but also collectively as the church. We have to ask, what foundation are we building on? And Peter is very clear as to what the foundation should be that we build on as the church. He says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. For it says in Scripture, Look, I lay in Zion a stone, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And whoever believes in him will never be put to shame. So you who believe see his value. But for those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stumbling stone and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Peter's quoting from Isaiah chapter 26 here as Christ's fulfillment of this great cornerstone. And he's saying that as we build the foundation of, of this house, as we build this spiritual house, the foundation stone should be Christ. That above all else, we should seek to build on Christ. That there's no other stone that we should be seeking to build this house on. As we build up as a church, as we grow as a church, Christ is a stone. And for those who don't build on the stone that is Christ, they will find themselves stumbling. They will find it as a stumbling block. They'll find it a, a little bit troublesome or confusing. And, and you know, here, here's the thing. Maybe you're here today and, and you're, you're new to faith or you're just questioning faith. You're not really sure where you're at in faith or you're watching. You're not really sure. This is just a good question in general to ask yourself. Ask yourself this question. Maybe you're still like, I'm not really sure about the whole Jesus thing. Ask yourself this question, though. What foundation am I building on? What foundation are you building on? I've said this before, but it's worth considering because if you don't think about what foundation you're building on, somebody else will build that foundation for you. Now, I, I stand here every Sunday and would advocate that the best foundation, as Peter would advocate, that you should build on is Christ Jesus. That he is the one who predicted his death and resurrection and pulled it off. That he is the one who is the king of all creation. And so therefore, he is a foundation stone worth building on because he is the rock that will not be moved, that cannot be shaken. But it, maybe you're not quite there yet. I would ask that you very least ask this question, what foundation are you building on? What is building the foundation of your life? What relationships have been forming the foundation of your life? What, what things have you been listening to or reading that have been building the foundation of your life? What ideologies have you been building on? What has been informing the foundation of your life? And start to ask yourself, because whatever is building the foundation of your life will begin to produce the fruit of your life, will begin to produce what type of person you are becoming. And so it's a critical question. And we, we love to ask this question for those who aren't following Christ, of what foundation are you building on? But even for those within the church, sometimes we have to step back and ask, what foundation are we building on? I would ask this that you as a follower of Christ would continuously seek to build your foundation on Christ. Don't build your foundation even on my words. Yes, I hope that the Holy Spirit uses me and speaks through me when I'm here on a Sunday morning. But sometimes specifically within the, the American context, we have a tendency to build our foundation on a leader or a pastor or a speaker. Folks, I, I believe I was called to this, but I'm a bit of a clown in some ways. You do not want to build your life on, on me. Trust me. You want to build your life on Christ. He is the foundation that is worth building on. Sometimes we've even found ourselves not no longer building on the foundation that is Christ, but building on religious practi practices or building on, you know, my interpretation of Scripture that I think is right and everybody else's is wrong. Well, at that point, are you building on Christ or are you building on your own knowledge so that you can just protect your own little kingdom and correct everybody else all the time? 
We have to build on the foundation that is Christ and build out from there because he is a foundation worth building on. So I would just ask you, if maybe you're outside and you're not really feeling like you're in this church yet, but you don't really know where you're at, ask yourself, what foundation am I building on? And if you've been in the community of faith for quite some time, make sure that you are building on the foundation that is Christ. I was listening to a podcast recently that I mentioned here before uh, called You Have Permission, and the host, Dan Koch, was interviewing a theologian by the name of Heather Griffin. And this was just recently, and she was talking about uh, different things that have happened within the church, specifically the SBC report that came out recently. It was re- reporting of, of abuse that, that happened within the denomination. And she's been affected by that, and she was speaking to some other scenarios that she's dealt with within the church. And she said, I'm paraphrasing here, I'm not quoting verbatim, but she was saying, with all of the darkness and all the things that she's seen over the past couple of years, there have been multiple times where she's just wanted to say, I'm done with the church, I'm done with faith, I'm out. Like, she, she, I'm done. And she said every single time that she almost walked away, Jesus showed up. Jesus showed up every single time. And he's shown up enough in my life and in lives around me that I'm willing to stand here and declare this day just as Peter would declare that he is a cornerstone, he is a foundation that is worth building on because while human systems and structures at times may fail, Jesus will always show up. So my prayer is that the foundation of your life would be built on Christ and the foundation of this church would ultimately be built on Christ. And then we can begin to build the spiritual house from there. Secondly, Peter goes on to talk about the structure of the house, the structure of the house, what's going on inside of this house. Now that we have the foundation built, what exactly is happening? And this is where Peter really starts to dive into some deeper concepts as well. People always talk about how Paul's letters are deep and Peter's are a little more simple. And it's probably because at one point in time, Peter references how Paul's letters are a little bit more deep. But when Paul's, Paul's are a little bit more complex in regards to, to language and vocabulary. And when you get to letters like Romans, oh my gosh, all these things are going on. But there is some depth to what Peter is saying here as well. When we get to these next couple of verses here, you, some of you who grew up in church, you might recognize uh, verse 9 specifically. But there is some deep stuff going on here. This Peter is opening up and unraveling and showing us how the entire story of God is coming together in Christ Jesus and what our role as the church is in that story. That you exist for something beyond yourself. That I exist for something beyond myself. That we don't just exist for our own little kingdoms, but for his kingdom work. So Peter goes on to say this about the structure of the house in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9-10. through 10. But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own, so that you may proclaim the virtues of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He's saying you were called out of darkness and into his light, this kingdom language, out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. Peter may have even been thinking about the story of Israel itself, how the people of Israel were caught out of the darkness of, uh, of Egyptian oppression under Pharaoh and brought into the light that was moving towards the promised land. You once were not a people, but now you are God's people. You were shown no mercy, but now you have received mercy. So he's saying all these things, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. uh, So many things that he's breaking apart here. And just like verses 4 and 5, we could be here all day talking about verses 9 through 10. 
But he's, he's borrowing some language for the church to see who we truly are. And he's borrowing language actually from the old covenant to see what God is now doing in this new covenant in Christ Jesus. Once again, I want to turn to the words of Scott McKnight as he helps us understand this passage. He said, it is important to recognize that these labels that Peter is using, these are Old Testament descriptions of Israel, the royal priest of the holy nation. They are Old Testament descriptions of Israel now applied to the church of Jesus Christ and giving rise to the important teaching that the church is the fulfillment and continuation of Israel. That there's an enlargement that's happening here, an enlargement theology that's occurring, that God's people is now expanded to the church, that the promise to Abraham to bless all nations has now been made possible through Christ Jesus. And so this is the structure of the house. Just a few of the things that Peter mentions here, royal priesthood. Maybe some of you growing up, somebody said this before, you know, you, you're a priest, you're a holy priest. You know, I was given this verse before at, at different youth events, and you know, you're, you're a priest, and there's so much... There's so much to that statement, the royal priesthood. If Peter, Peter's listeners, if they were Jewish, would have thought of royalty, and that royalty would have been uh, uh, with one line within the nation of Israel, the line of David, and Peter saying, no, 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 no. This is no longer just for one line and one group of people. But in Christ, you are sons and daughters of the king. In Christ, you were joint heirs with Christ Jesus. We now have royalty in Christ that may not be the same type of royalty that you see within the world, but it's a royalty that's been made possible in Christ Jesus. He's saying that you were a priesthood. Once again, the nation of Israel, there would have been through, through Israel, a holy line of the priesthood that came through the Levites. And he's saying, no, 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 this is no longer meant for one group of people and one group within that group of people. No, anybody in Christ Jesus now carries with them a, a connection to God and a, an ability to connect with God, but also connect others to God. We carry with us as the church, the royal priesthood. You carry this as an individual and we carry this together. I had a friend years ago say to me, he said, the way I see it, we're all pastors. And at the time I was like, okay, you're, that's a little extreme right now. But if you really think about this, there's some truth to that, that we all have royalty, we all have a priesthood, we all have a calling, we all have a responsibility in Christ Jesus, not just as individuals, but together. And this is not just for a certain group or a particular group of people. This is meant for all people in Christ. As you're invited into the way of Jesus, you become a royal priesthood in Christ Jesus. It's kind of a cool thing to think about that we are brought into this grand story of God. Peter says that we are a holy nation. This is a really important one to consider as well. Because within this one, once again, we start to see that, that Peter is using labels for the church that would have been used in the, in the Old Testament scriptures for Israel. And so what exactly is going on here? And throughout church history, we've had a tendency to, to do some things with the Old Testament with Israel. Some of them are things that people just have different views on that I agree with, that I don't agree with. And some of them are things that are just downright wrong. So for example, uh, there have been some in church history who have chosen to take, I don't know where they got this from, but they've chosen to take basically an anti-Semitic view of Israel. And that would be something that actually came at times from the reformer Martin Luther in the 1500s when he advocated to burn synagogues. Okay, that's not right. Like we're not advocating for that. That's not appropriate. But then there would be some who would say, uh, say, oh, you know, we're New Testament Christians, so we don't really pay attention to what's going on in the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. It's like, okay, that's not really responsible either. 
Like we, we, we're not really, we're, we're not, that's not responsible either. We have to pay attention to what's going on because there's a continuation. There's a grand story being told that we're a part of. So we can't just ignore what was happening in the Old Testament either. Then there's been some who have said, who kind of like, they start to mix and match a little bit. And they say, oh, we, we take some of the old and, and we bring it in with some of the new and, and we kind of bring these and it gets all kind of conflated and confusing in that sense. And there have been, this has been a little bit more popularized in, in modern thinking in the United States specifically of, oh yeah, we still have to build this nation and there's just, it's like, and it's all conflated and a little bit confusing. But the nation that is being built is now a spiritual nation that exists in all places. It's called the kingdom of God in Christ Jesus. And it's not about rebuilding a physical nation. We've, we've, we've seen a fulfillment in Christ Jesus, and now this promise has been made available to all people. There's a new covenant that's existing within Christ, and so we're not trying to you know, bring in some of the old and mix it with some of the new. No, this is something, a holy nation, that's been made available to all people in all places. And so we're not necessarily trying to, to mix and match and bring together. We find ourselves as a part of God's story as we've been made a part of this promise in Christ Jesus. And I... There was a time early on in my faith with this view, this third view that I was discussing where young, this was kind of what I was given early on. And I thought, okay, there's the church and then there's those who aren't in the church and then there's, there's Israel. But that's not really what the New Testament teaches. The New Testament teaches that yes, there was a chosen people of Israel in the old covenant, in the old Testament, and then the Messiah came through those people. And now through the Messiah, the promise of salvation and the kingdom of God is now made available to all people. So either you're following Christ or you're not following Christ. There's not some random group of people over here that all people are seen in the same view in Christ Jesus because God shows no partiality and no favoritism. So either you're following Christ or you're not following Christ. That's, that's how this is working. We have to start taking the New Testament scriptures seriously in Hebrews 8.13 when it says this, when he speaks of a new covenant, he makes the first obsolete. Now what is growing obsolete and aging is about to disappear. So the old has been, it's important. It points to Christ. The Old Testament scriptures speak to Christ. So we need to know them, but, but that has been made obsolete. We are in something new in Christ Jesus. We have to take this seriously in Romans chapter 10, verse 12, when Paul says this, um, You'll see it up on the screen. He said, for there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all who richly blesses all who call on him. There's no distinction. God blesses all who call on the name of Jesus. And then Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For every one of God's promises are yes in Christ. So there's not some, you know, floating promise, though this might eventually happen. No, all of God's promises find their yes in Jesus Christ. We are all a part is in Christ of the promise of God to bless all people, to be a part of this holy nation. And it's not a nation that exists in the same way that you and I might think about a nation with physical borders. No, it's a nation that exists without borders and it just can expand into all places. So wherever people are that are following Christ, that's where this holy nation is being built. That's where the kingdom of God is moving forward. It's not about rebuilding some physical temple. It's about us existing as the temple of God in Christ Jesus and bringing about the priesthood and the holy nation and the hope and love and mercy and grace of Jesus wherever we find ourselves. You exist as a priest. We exist as his temple and we are building this holy nation in whatever space we find ourselves in. I know that's a lot, but we are being brought into this grand story that God has been telling throughout all of history. And it's, it's a beautiful opportunity. He then says, uh, that we are the people who have been shown mercy. 
So, so we, we demonstrate mercy, and this is a good reminder for all of us. Grace is being given that which you don't deserve. Mercy is being spared of that which you do deserve. And every one of us has done stuff before that we know is wrong, and there are consequences for those actions. But in Christ, we've received mercy. We've been spared of that which we do deserve. And so that gift of mercy is not just, oh, I have mercy, I have mercy. It's so that we then go and extend mercy to others. We as the church, we exist not just as a royal priesthood, but also as beacons of mercy to other people. That's who we should be, mercy and understanding and grace. Last month, I I was listening to a talk from a speaker by the name of uh, Cheryl Nembrand, and she was talking about diversity within the church. And she said, I hear a lot of people say, we need to make room for this person or we need to make room for this group. She said, I don't want you to just make room. And I get what we say. When we say make room, we're we're saying a nice thing. I get that, you know, but but she was saying, I don't want you to just make room because that means you're just creating enough space to fit me in. I don't want you to just make room. I want you to welcome. I want you to welcome me. What does it look like for this church? Not just to make room for people, but for us to welcome people in. And the reason we would welcome all people in is because all of us are people who are in need of mercy and extend mercy. None of us is more special than the other. So we don't walk around as a royal priesthood just, oh, to feel good about ourselves. No, we walk around with that in humility, in mercy, and extending mercy. This is the structure of the house. We exist as a new temple in Christ Jesus that has been given mercy and then gives mercy to others. Who can I give mercy to this week? Who can you extend mercy to this week? Who can we extend understanding to as we are built up in the structure of this home? And then lastly, Peter talks about a house that is set apart. A house that is set apart. It's the name of the series, to be set apart, to be holy, distinct, different, to be set apart. Peter starts to close out some thoughts here and he continues on through chapter two with some other thoughts, but these thoughts here are are helpful for us in considering what it means for us to be set apart. He says this in verses 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to keep away from fleshly desires that do battle against the soul and maintain good conduct among the non-Christians so that through so that so that through that they so, so through that they now may malign you as wrongdoers they may see your good deeds and glorify God when he appears but i urge you as foreigners and exiles to keep away from fleshly desires that battle against the soul and maintain good conduct peter is very clear about something here what should set me apart what should set you apart What should set all of us apart is not our opinions, but our character. I'll say that again. What should set us apart is not our opinions, but our character, who we are. As we exist as foreigners and exiles, what sets us apart is not that we know everything or we have all the best opinion, but what sets us apart is who we are, our character, I don't mean to continue to harp on this because I know that we've talked about this a lot lately and we talked about it, and you know, I just talked about it a few minutes ago. But we need to talk about it uh, because it's affecting us as a church. And I don't know about you, but for me, 
I feel like almost every single day, I'm either logging onto a news site or Instagram or, or whatever, and almost every day I'm reading of another church scandal. Does anybody else feel like that? Can you shake your head? Anybody else feel like that? Yeah, okay, okay. There's a few. I feel like I'm just being bombarded with this all over the country every day. And there's so many reasons why that's heartbreaking. Abuses of power, people being scared, people not being able to come forward or being told to be silenced when they do come forward. Stuff that just does not reflect the nature and heart of Jesus, but is the name of Jesus is being used in. It's just, it's really sad, horrible and heartbreaking. And we just keep hearing of these stories over and over again. There's many things that we can say about that. But one of the things I want to say about it as far as it relates to this passage that we just looked at is that Peter calls the church to exist as foreigners and exiles. And then what sets us apart should be our character. And I think part of the disconnect that has happened over the past 2,000 years is that specifically in our in our context today, we've adopted this assumption that the church is supposed to be a power structure in society, almost like a government or an influential business. I'm not not saying that the church shouldn't have influence. I believe that we should have influence that reflects the nature of Jesus. But it shouldn't be influence for the sake of power. And and, and I think one of the reasons these, these stories start to become so disappointing is because time and time again, we see churches or leaders saying, we can't surrender our power, so we don't want people to know that which is true. And this pursuit of power and status, the New Testament church knew nothing of this. They knew nothing of this. Peter was a fisherman who was following Jesus, ended up being crucified for following Christ. Paul was beaten and shipwrecked. Uh, You know, we think through James and John and Mary and, and all those who are following Christ, they were not at the top of the religious structure or the top of the governmental structure of their time period. And we gave into the lie that what should set us apart as the church should be our power and status. That is not what we are called to be set apart through. We are called to be set apart through our character, through who we are. So that even if it means surrendering power and status, we will still do the right thing if it's building his kingdom and not our own. That's what we exist to do. His kingdom, not mine. His plan, not mine. His power, not mine. His will, not mine. That's what we exist to do. That's who we exist to be as the church. And so therefore, our our role should not be power and status and title. What we should be seeking is as foreigners and exiles, how do we live in this tension of knowing that Jesus is king, but he's not yet fully publicly recognized as king, but we know that he one day will be. We should be existing in the tension of, I'm going to be low on the power structure, but high in the realm of integrity. That has to be our desire as the church. Not how can I be more noticed? How can I have more power? It's should be, how can we have influence through integrity, existing as foreigners and strangers and exiles? And this has always been the call of the people of God. Abraham was called out as a stranger. Moses was called out as a stranger. Abraham went to a strange land. Jeremiah 29 had God's people existing as strangers in Babylon, but still shining their light through as they exist in that space. We are to exist as foreigners and exiles, people who say we're not pursuing power. We're pursuing integrity. We are pursuing the kingdom above all else. And it's about his plan and not our. That's what it means for us to be set apart. 
That's what it would look like if we start becoming the church that Christ had in mind. If we start getting back to this first century model of saying, we're not here to pursue power, we're here to pursue his kingdom. And we recognize that he is the one with all the power, but there are times when he calls us to surrender earthly power so that his light can shine forth. This is what it looks like to be set apart. But let's continue to work together. You don't have to build this spiritual house all on your own. This is something that we are collectively doing together as the church. Let's collectively together seek to build a foundation that is on Christ Jesus. Let's collectively together within the structure accept the call that we have as a royal priesthood to build his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. But within that, as we talked about a couple months ago, discover your spiritual gifts, discover your role to play within this structure. And then within that, we can continue to say, we are going to be set apart. We are going to be different and not because of our pursuit of power, but because our pursuit of his kingdom above all else. So we're going to take up our cross and follow him. That's what it means for us to continue to grow as a church that is set apart. If you would please bow your heads and join me for prayer in this moment. Jesus, we thank you that we can turn to your scriptures and hear.